Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hello and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. I am your host, the stuffy-headed Cindy Howes. I apologize for the way my voice sounds on this episode. I've been hit with the summertime cold. Before we get into our guest today, Taylor Ashton, I want to remind you that the best way to stay in touch with each other is to sign up for Basic Folk's monthly newsletter, which you can do by going to basicfolk.com and there's like a red sign up for the newsletter button. You can also follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Folk Pod. We're a listener supported podcast. You can make a contribution at our website. If you go to the shop, you can pick up a Basic Folk beanie. It is a handmade knitted hat. You know who makes it? This podcast's mom. That's right, Mum House hand knits these Basic Folk beanies. And it can be yours with a contribution of $5 a month. Basicfolk.com. Check out the shop. All right. On to our guest today, Canadian-born, New York-based banjo person Taylor Ashton's second solo album, Stranger to the Feeling, was recorded on a coast-to-coast road trip during 2021. Now, these were the two weeks post-vaccine where we thought everything was A-OK, so Ashton and producer Jacob Bloomberg set out on a recording adventure that included collaborations with friends new and old. Ashton, who's since become a new parent with wife Rachel Price of Lake Street Dive, wanted to create an album that meditates on the meaning of closeness and connection in an age of increasing isolation. The energy of the new album is just that, and it is palpable alongside its use of space and natural sounds. Gotta love those birds and room noise. In our conversation, Taylor expands on the making of the album while addressing questions of the difficulty of reconnecting after the pandemic and how the music helped break that barrier of social isolation. We also go through a lot of the album's songs and get to topics like crying while playing your own song, struggling with expressing feelings and not being and being cool. Taylor also graciously shares their thoughts on gender expression and walking the line of benefiting from the patriarchy and not feeling exactly like they embody the male gender all of the time. Being 6'2 and crying while listening to your own song maybe sums it all up, or maybe you can't summarize Taylor Ashton. I'm very grateful to welcome him back on Basic Folk, big fan of Taylor's music and of his person. We're going to listen to songs from his new album, Stranger to the Feeling, throughout our conversation. Let's get to Taylor Ashton on Basic Folk. Basic Folk. 
Taylor Ashton, thanks for coming back on Basic Folks. So good to see you again. Yeah, great to see you as well. The last time we saw each other was for the interview, and it was one of the last in-person interviews I did before the pandemic hit because I remember that I had just been on this like amazing trip to Belize, and I had this rum from Belize, and we both drank some in two Peter Mulvey mugs. Oh, what a nice, that's a great detail. Yeah, well, I went back and I listened and we like cheers into the microphone. And then I was like, we're both drinking out of Peter Mulvey mugs. Wow, that's that's the best. (laughs) Anyways, really like your new album, Stranger to the Feeling. And I'm excited to talk about it. If you are listening in real time, the day this episode airs, the record comes out tomorrow, Friday, August 18th. Or if you're listening after that, the album is out. Um, This is your second solo album. It was produced and recorded by Jacob Bloomberg, and you recorded the album on a road trip across the country from New York to Los Angeles. What has been your experience with road trips, like aside from touring, because musicians tour all over the world, but like from when you were a kid, what did you like or not like about them? How would you pass the time in the car back then versus now? Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, road trips. I, I guess like as a kid, I always, I always associated a road trip with, there was always something really special about the destination of a road trip. Like, you know, we'd be going to visit family. So, or, you know, like going to Disneyland or, or something like that. So there was like having that destination at the end is something that, you know, I feel like very different than being on tour where, you know, it's kind of like constant, you know, you have a destination every single day. And I feel like that's kind of my memory of it as a kid is like having some kind of like exciting goal at the end that we were kind of getting to. And I feel like time really stretches on and in this epic way when you're a child. So like those, like, you know, five hours in the car feels like forever. Um, Definitely. And I was always, and I still am this person, the guy that wanted, and the kid that wanted to like always pull over the car and, you know, just like I would see something out the window and be like, let's do that. Like mini golf or, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) take a picture in front of the world's biggest nickel or stuff like that. Were your requests granted? Uh, I'm trying to think as a kid, probably I seem to remember that. Yeah it does kind of feel like my like road memories have mostly been kind of supplanted by tour memories, which are, Mm. it's like such a different energy to be on tour. Obviously there's a lot of things in common, but there's just uh, the, the mindset is, is very different. But this road trip you went on for the record, that wasn't for a tour, was it? It wasn't for a tour. And yeah, it was, it was fully to make this album. And it was fun actually to tell people about it. You know, I had wanted to meet up with friends along the way and I would, you know, get in touch with people and see if they were going to be around in these places that we were going to be passing through and see if they might want to collaborate on something. Oh, that's fun. And, you know, to sort of like describe the concept to them. And so often that was kind of the, the reaction was like, wait, so you're like going on tour but no shows. And they're like, that sounds pretty fun. (laughs) (laughs) And it's kind of like reverse engineered the road trip in a way, you know, it's like musicians traveling is such a big part of, of the job that like, I know, I know a lot of musicians that have a hard time 
scheduling a, like a trip, like a vacation for themselves or, or things like that, because, you know, they're going to airports and they're getting in the car and they're packing so much for their job that like to take a break and then do that same thing seems a little counterintuitive. So yeah, I wanted to go on this road trip. I wanted to drive to LA. I'd never driven across the States before, um, driven across Canada lots of times, but never from coast to coast in the States. Which route did you take? You went through Eau Claire, right? At some point. Yeah, we went through Eau Claire and we ended up staying sort of like that amount of north until Wyoming and then kind of straight down to uh, New Mexico and then over to L.A. Oh, wow. Yeah. And when Jacob and I were talking about the concept at first, you know, there was definitely a limitation because he had a job that he basically he had this like set amount of time that he could take off from. (laughs) And so we kind of had to we had to plan the route in such a way that like we could realistically get it done. And we decided that we also didn't want to record any day that we had a drive at all. And I think we wanted to limit a a day's drive to like 12 hours at the most. Yeah, I think we only did that once. But yeah, so we wanted to kind of have it so that we would have a drive day and a recording day so that we could like wake up in the place, feel a little bit settled in wherever we were. And then from there kind of approach the task of, you know, setting up microphones or figuring out where we wanted to uh, record and what the song was going to be and all that. Um, and in terms of the the route, um, I'm probably going to switch between saying route and route over the course of this. Please uh, do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I knew that my friend David Moss from the Brother Brothers was traveling the States with his fiancee. Uh, Michaela and they were, you know, hitting a lot of national forests and a lot of national parks and stuff. And I basically called him and I was like, here's the time where in the country are you going to be to see if we could maybe work it out? You know, I, I, I sort of told him the vague outline of like, we want to leave New York on this day and we want to get to LA by this day. And he was like, I could make it to Bighorn national forest on this day. If you guys could be there on that day. And he was like, we camped there like a few months ago. And we have a good spot. And so we can like, that would be a great place to hang with you guys for a couple of days. Oh my gosh. These plans sound like so loose. Oh yeah. Very loose. (laughs) Um, And originally I had envisioned it being more like, like I've always been so fascinated by the story of Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen, you know, where he, he, he made those uh, demos alone in a a hotel room with just like an eight track or a four track or something. And, you know, when I listened to that record, knowing that story, you know, there was sort of this frustration with the full band recordings. And there was kind of these, you know, this solo situation where he kind of figured out what the songs needed to be in their sort of ultimate form. The mythology of that is so like, so appealing to me. And like, I, I find uh, a hotel room is kind of inspiring and it's like uninspiringness. <laughs> like there are sort of these like, um, really sort of plain liminal spaces where I feel like you can kind of um, let your imagination run wild. And so that was how it started. And so you can kind of imagine late 2020, it was like Jacob and I could like pod up, you know, I don't know if you remember <laughs> language. Oh, I, yeah, I definitely remember late 2020 was yeah. like the kind of like the dark times, like right before the vaccine came out. 
Totally. And, and like, um, and so I thought, you know, just follow the hotel room model for, you know, steal it from Bruce. And <laughs> then as we were, as we were planning it, we were kind of like, okay, what if we think about next summer as it was coming closer, we were getting vaccinated and all our friends were getting vaccinated. And there was kind of this, like, there was this feeling of like, Oh, we actually could safely see people. And that would actually be so much cooler to rather than go on a trip and like be really solitary. And, you know, yeah, it was almost like the idea of visiting friends was invented in the process of us uh, <laughs> coming up with this, uh, this concept. And so it was like, the record actually became, it's like accidentally kind of like a, um, a little snapshot of this like moment where we were like very fancy free after about, you know, a little over a year of feeling so isolated. You were like Orpheus in Hades town, imagining what the world could be. Exactly. Right. And this was, you know, <laughs> before the, before the loop started itself over again with like, you know, new uh, variants and lockdowns and all that stuff. So people have talked about like after the pandemic and I felt this too, it's kind of like hard to get back into the groove of socializing again from like mm. the big parts of socializing to like the little parts of like trying to make small talk. Did you feel that when you were making this record and then how did having the music part of reconnecting help you? I, yeah, I did feel that way. I mean, that's, it's interesting you word it that way. Cause you're kind of making me realize that, that, that is like part of why making this album, I think felt so special was that like, yeah, it was weird to, you know, get into people's personal space again and get used to feeling comfortable with that and feeling safe doing that stuff. Um, just like being in a room with humans and being close to your friends, which is like, you know, necessary for, uh, emotional being to feel safe being close to people in your community. So yeah, it was like, it felt very healing to like go to someone's house. Courtney Hartman was a good friend for a long time. Um, we made a record together maybe five years ago now ish. And, um, you know, pulling into her driveway in Eau Claire and I hadn't seen her since she'd moved to Eau Claire and just kind of that, like that feeling of like, Oh my gosh, a lot of time has gone by and a lot has changed in a lot of people's lives. Like not only was the pandemic a time of a lot of isolation, but I think a lot of people made big life changes and moved to different places and uh, kind of adjusted their ideas of what, how they wanted to spend their time, you know, it was kind of like, okay, so if you can't do X, Y, Z, like, what is it that get, brings you happiness? And, and so there was like, you know, seeing, seeing people that you haven't seen in a, in a year and a half doesn't usually feel like this, but a lot of these experiences, seeing friends, it was almost like seeing someone after like 10 or 15 years where you're just like, it, there's almost too much to catch up on because so much has happened in everyone's lives. Yeah. And I do think that having this project uh, and having this kind of like this activity to then kind of fall back on, you know, it was beautiful to be able to do that, to kind of like 
you kind of like, so how, how have you been? Like, how are you holding up? And it's, it's just hard to answer that question, uh, sometimes. And especially after a couple of years like that, you know, it's just so much easier to communicate by making music sometimes, even if you're not communicating the exact details of like what you've been up to and you're, you're still connecting, which is, it's the, you know, the reason that me and everybody I know who plays music loves doing it is, is just that feeling. And, you know, you can, you can have a conversation over zoom, but we quickly discovered that you can't have like a real time two way musical interaction over the internet that way. It's like, that's something that only exists in the air with people. I wanted to go through the album and ask you questions about some of these songs, starting with the opening track, Strong Hands. This song was recorded. It was uh, the first song of the session recorded in Prospect Park in Brooklyn on a picnic blanket. And you called it the sing along of my dreams, as well as sharing that you still get choked up when you listen to this song, Strong Hands. Well, when I close my eyes and I disappear in the needing this dystopia blossoms into eating, I'm loosening up on my tight grip, sending me up on the right trip, and it's such a sweet relief underneath your strong hands, underneath your strong. So two-part question, what about the performance of this song makes you emotional? Second part, what is your experience with getting overly emotional with your own songs? Like, have you ever cried on stage playing a song or something like that? Yeah, I have. And for me, it's a funny feeling to to cry <laughs> while playing one of my own songs or while listening to one of my own songs because there's like some like dark demon voice somewhere in my brain that's like oh my god get over yourself you you know (laughs) whatever that sounds like the patriarchy right oh my gosh yeah i mean the root of all (laughs) of all that is that is sour in this world and uh but that's my one-liner for everything yeah i mean (laughs) you know nine times out of ten you're probably right if you uh (laughs) present the math in the right order but um yeah i have a few songs that can do that to me and and like weirdly some of the songs that i get emotional playing they have like kind of kept that quality and you know it's like i don't know if people can sort of see it from the audience but there are songs where like i'll start the song and i'm like oh no what if i (laughs) what if i like you know my throat actually physically closes up and i can't get through this song and it and it has happened and and uh you know Luckily, there's this a great excuse called backphrasing where you, you know, you just start the line a little later and you kind of chalk it up to like, oh, I just kind of felt like putting a little different spice on at that time. So I like just kind of like delayed the entrance on that line. But, you know, my <laughs> it could also just have been that I was like, like a little, you know, a little choked up or forgot the words. But we're not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different question. Mm-hmm. Is that like when the song is is new or there's certain songs where you just keep returning to this this huge emotional feeling for me it it's more likely to be you know 
like truly overwhelming and like a little harder to to wrestle with when the song is new but there are songs that still do it for me and and it's weird cuz they're not always sad songs yeah it's i think of songwriting like it's almost like you're um trapping a little like an emotion in amber or something and it's like if you can do it right which like i don't know how to do it i just know that i've done it for me like several times where i've the the feeling is captured to the point where like when i go back to the song it's still there and it's really it it feels intact and vivid and you know i hope that that translates in some way for someone listening to it obviously that's kind of like out of my control but yeah i i i've sometimes kind of like sat there and wondered like i'll be i'll finish playing a song and be like why does that one do it for me and i can't exactly uh put a finger on it and maybe i'll figure it out one day but it's kind of <laughs> mysterious like strong hands is is one that does it and it's funny cuz it's not like a big dark or sad or emotional like the song like it's a very simple sentiment you know i mean it's a very the the the, the lyrics are very literal it's just like having a hard day and then having someone give you a shoulder massage and that feeling of like the tension releasing mm. and feeling like life is suddenly not unmanageable anymore. And that like, those like, Oh, you know, so it's like, it's kind of an everyday, I mean, I mean, we should all be so lucky as to have that be an everyday thing, but um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little like simple, you know, it's like kind of, it's a sort of a small thing. And for some reason, it just, that one has that little kernel for for me. And like, I have friends that have inspired me to like unabashedly just like my own songs. I think when I was in my early time as a songwriter, like, I don't know, it was weird. It was like, I should have like an attitude of like, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't like my own songs because that's somehow like, it's like cocky or whatever. But, you know, I, uh, it was actually, I was playing some shows with my friend Anna Eggie, um, just backing her up, doing some like accompaniment. And we were like doing a rehearsal. And after the song, she was like, I love that song. And <laughs> I was like, that is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm on board with the sentiment now. Um, I'm just like, yeah, I can like my song. So yeah, I like strong hands. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And the recording specifically, it's like, all those singers are so insanely good. And so like just each of them have such a specific character. And like, I don't think that specific assembly of people had, had sung together before. So it's a, it's a historical recording for me. It is. Yeah, I definitely, (laughs) you know, that's a, it's a, it's a moment that I am really glad that I have the, the recording and the record of. Yeah. So the next song like a movie, I got to say that uh, I had to like make a lot of assumptions about these songs. So like I could be so wrong, okay. but I can't tell if the protagonist in this song is like not able to focus or be focused because of like a personal issue or from like a catastrophic world event. But um, either way, you don't have to answer that question. Either way, the person in the song is disarmed and everything to this person kind of feels like a movie because it doesn't seem real. Mm. So for you, how have you experienced being disarmed 
And have you got like a better hold on that? Oh, yeah. I think being disarmed is like a pretty common feeling for me. At the same time, I would also like hope not to be armed mostly. <laughs> um, right. You know, I can only kind of speak to this from my own life experience. I assume that, you know, a lot of people have times in their lives where they feel this way. But I do think that the lifestyle of touring and making art, it makes the uh, the conditions for that feeling of, of, you know, life just being a little bit unreal and, you know, kind of movie like, like it's, 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 you know, anywhere from light to extreme dissociation, you know, um, cause you know, you're just constantly traveling, constantly underslept. Um, and yeah, for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm so fascinated by times where, where people are trying to communicate with each other and it doesn't quite work, you know, where like expectations and communication don't fully meet up because it's incredible that we as humans have the tool of language. And yet, like, I feel like maybe almost more often than not language ends up being like a way for us to misunderstand each other as it is to understand each other. I was thinking about that too, in terms of like, if you're having a disagreement with someone really close to you, like a family member or your partner, and then like, I don't know about you, but like, I just turn into a fucking idiot and say mm. like the dumbest shit. And then like three days later, I'm like, what? You know, things that if you if you had your wits about you, you'd never say. Oh, my God. And right. It's like if you could kind of like go back and, and fine tune your behavior and it's like, okay, I can see now that I was you know, I was like nervous that my identity was going to be affected by this or whatever. Like I, I see now that instead of lashing out or like shutting down, I could have expressed my feelings. And, um, but yeah, it's like so often not that way for me. A lot of times I think it's like shutting down. Like, I think I'm almost like too afraid of saying the idiotic thing to the point where I would like not say anything at all. And then in retrospect, see that that was actually the most hurtful thing to do. Uh. <laughs> like not, you know what I mean? Uh, I have, you know, I definitely uh, perpetrated some light, like ghosting or like shutting down, like in, in situations where it was like, okay, I, I really, really want to make sure that when I express how I'm feeling to this person, I really like get the fine details of, of my, uh, feelings here like really accurate and it's like it's never gonna happen so it just doesn't happen it's like a it's like a you know poisonous yeah perfectionism in a way oh yeah i you know i end up processing these things a lot in in songwriting i woke up there on your floor on that insane november morning i watched the news through the of a store felt like I was watching it in a movie I just landed in Berlin and it's crazy now remembering how I tried so hard just to feel something but you kisses Like I was 
watching it in the movie. I had um, a similar takeaway with your song Love Something, Leave Something, mm. which is towards the end of the album, like that line, if you feel something, say something, which is also so close to like the government's if you see something, say something, like post 9-11 thing that they did. Yeah. But like it really got me thinking about like why is it so hard to talk about what you're feeling? And it sounds like it's it sounds like it's still pretty tough for you. Like what if it's like not in a situation where you feel threatened or or feel like you need to be defensive. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it it's so much easier to like talk about your feelings if you're in a situation where you know, you know, that you know you have leeway to say the wrong thing, but you know that you'll have like a chance to explain yourself or like Right. You get a soft landing or something like that. Yeah. And like, you know, I think to me that's kind of like I'm like, oh, I guess that's like when you're when you have trust, you know, with the people that you're trying to be close with. And trust comes and goes and it takes different forms and it can definitely go up and down in, in relationships. But, you know, it's, it's easier not to feel threatened if you've kind of like been through it with someone enough times that you're kind of like, okay, I've said the idiotic thing before and I had a <laughs> chance to explain what I really should have said the first time and apologize for, you know, maybe putting it in a, in a hurtful way. Um, hmm. That's why it, is worth it to put that work in and like take those risks is to find out kind of where you are safe. Yeah. And it's actually, yeah. Well, love something, leave something. I was a little um, on the fence about whether to make that reference. You know, I saw, I was, I was taking the subway late at night and I saw the like, see something, say something uh, sign. Still doing it. Yeah. No, there. And you know, it's like that obviously has connotations that are very not good and right so that you know there's like there is kind of the like the personal to the political like kind of there's a little bit of a parallel there to like you know it it's it sounds like a good thing to say like well if you feel something say something and i think part of what i was kind of trying to say there was like it's not always safe and someone might want you to just be like oh just tell me what, how you're feeling it's like it might not always be because they care about how you feel. It might be actually like it's a trap. Yeah, exactly. Get out of there. Right. So there, there. That's a little bit of what was going on with that title. It was kind of like that. It's not always with the best of intentions. And if you feel something, say something. We went out of order a little bit, so let's get back oh, yeah. in order. The next song, Denis, you're recording with your good friend and collaborator, Courtney Hartman, mm -hmm. um, on a couple of tracks on this record, including this one. Yep. You're talking about um, how you have collaborated with her and she is a good friend. I feel like this is like your most fucking vibey and dissonant song I've ever heard. Oh, cool. It kind of like feels like a meditation so I was wondering, like, how did your previous relationship with Courtney allow you to bring this little out-of-the-box Taylor Ashton song to her? Well, Courtney is definitely, you know, talking about trust. Like, in a musical setting, I fully have that trust 
for her. Wow, way to link it all together. Yeah, I mean, you you set me up, but it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Courtney has like a, I feel like she has like a talent for like ruminating in a serious place, um, in terms of like her music and and her songs in a way that like is really beautiful and doesn't feel like overwrought. And so I think maybe this song, I kind of was like, this is like, it, it is sort of, you know, it's this like vibey kind of like slow burn thing that I, I kind of just felt like it was like, it was safe in Courtney's hands to kind of like paint the, uh, you know, paint the scenery around it in such a way that kind of like gave it that right tone of like, sort of like serious, but not like overly serious. Mm-hmm. It's a cool song. Thanks. And it's cool that, that you guys made it together. The next song also has Courtney on it, Beauty Sleep. This is a really fun track, and you shared a bunch of songs with your producer, Jacob. This was one of his favorites, and you said that you were feeling a little bit shy about this song being too, quote, fun and not cool, um, which makes me want to hear about your relationship to being cool, like how important has being cool been for you throughout your life? Um. It's a, it's a weird one. I was like, not very cool in, or at least like, I definitely didn't think of myself as cool at any time in school. Um, I always felt pretty like on the outside of whatever, like social, you know, situation was going on. But did you like make your own cool? Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's part of the reason I like turned to, you know, playing guitar and writing songs was like was this kind of feeling of like, maybe I'm not like getting invited to these parties that I'm like hearing about on a Monday morning at school where it's like, Oh wow. Like everyone got like super wasted at this house party and like so-and-so hooked up with so-and-so. And and, like, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like was everybody at this thing except for me. And like, I think it's like, I had this response of like, okay, well, you know what? Actually going to parties is stupid. And like, (laughs) you know it's really cool is like staying at my house and like recording a song and like i you know met a couple friends that like played uh drums and bass and we made a band and so just kind of like focusing focusing on like a smaller number of important relationships and it was like okay well we're gonna do this thing and like we might not be like you know the like absolute it people at school but we are making stuff you know, you sort of convince yourself of like, well, that's like, that's the really cool thing to do is like be in a band. And, <laughs> and it's funny because it's like making music was kind of the freedom from having that like sort of icky high school clicky feeling of like, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go make music and that's going to be what I pour myself into. And I will say, unfortunately, at times the life of being a professional musician can sometimes feel a little bit 
similar to like that kind of like who's cool and who's not. Oh yeah. Feeling that like none of us felt good about in high school, except for the cool kids. And there's definitely that situation in, uh, in the music industry. And I I think it just kind of like, that's just how people are wired. Like people want to know who's cool and they want to be cool. And once they're cool, they want to stay cool. And you know, it sort of sucks. And it's really uh, admirable when people figure out how to step outside that. And I think ultimately it seems to me just from, you know, really trying to focus on what musicians am I inspired by and who like seem to be living like artistic lives that have like integrity and are like creative and, and generous to the people in their community it's like, those are the people who are just like totally happy being themselves and are not trying to like invent themselves in the picture of like something that they think some audience might want or like, how can I mold myself into that so that I can ride some kind of like wave? I honestly think that some people have the ability to do that and are like good at it. And I think I'm just not one of those people. And so I do have to kind of like constantly remind myself that whether or not I'm cool doesn't matter. You know, it's like, ultimately it's like, you got to just do stuff that makes you happy. And I think, you know, Jacob pulling that song out of the pile. um, It was a nice feeling of like release for me where it's like, you know, it might be that other songs that I had kind of chosen for the album in my mind, I was like, well, this one kind of reminds me like this sort of seems like the kind of song that like this cool artist might put on their record or like that this cool artist might put on their record. And, you know, even if that's like a subconscious thing, like if I noticed that feeling, I'd be like, oh my God, Taylor, that's not how you make an album. But it's like hard not to, (laughs) it's hard not to get into that track sometimes. What about like if you turn, if you turn this situation on its head? Yeah. And something happens and you're like, oh man, I am cool. I don't know. what. How do you like not like drown in that feeling? Yeah, good question. I, I, I am pretty good at like if I ever have that feeling of like, whoa, I'm feeling pretty cool right now. Like <laughs> another voice will come up behind that voice and like pull the chair from underneath it. And it's like, no, you aren't. You dumbass. <laughs> Um, (laughs) no, yeah, which it's like, it's probably whoever, whatever that character is in my mind is probably like half trying to just sort of keep me wise and humble and other, you know, but also at the same time, just like kind of being kind of cruel, (laughs) but right. Yeah. I mean, collaborating with someone that you trust, like Jacob, he pulled this song out and I kind of had this like feeling of like, Oh, weird. I, I did that actually as part of like a, like a song every week email chain kind of thing that I was oh, doing with yeah. some people. And I've done this in like some larger groups where other people were administrating it. I've like administrated smaller versions of it. And those are so nice for me because like I do have this part of me that's a little bit of a perfectionist or I want something to be cool or like I'm already before I even write a single note, I'm thinking about how people are going to perceive it. And like, that's such a bad trap. And if I have like, I need to send this song in, you know, by midnight on a Sunday or whatever, or else I'm like out of the group, then it's like, okay, well, I can't think about all that other stuff. I just need to like get anything down. And beauty sleep was something where I was like, okay, I'm just going to sit down and play guitar, see if 
anything happens and I'm just going to record basically all my first ideas and I'm going to not judge a single one of them. And then I'm just going to send it in. So it was like probably like 7 PM and I was like, crap, I got to send something in. And I just beauty sleep kind of just came out and I really like the song now at the time I kind of had, had like just left it in this folder. Cause I was like, I don't know, whatever. I was just like, it was almost like I'll put it in there just so that, you know, it's really obvious that the other songs are better than this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, also, but at the, you know, Jacob was like, no, this is actually really got something. And he like played my own song for me with that context where I was like, actually, you know, I agree. I think I totally let's do this. Cool. And I almost felt like I was like covering the song by the time it came to recording it. <laughs> um, and I also, I just want to disclaim that I, this was a good example of like, sit down and have three hours to record something like, you know, if I did 10 of those, probably nine out of 10 would be like truly objectively unlistenable. I just want to promise that. <laughs> Nights I lie awake and wonder if I'm on my way to another breakdown. Why am I awake now? Sirens screaming down the parkway and fireworks go off for heaven's sake now. Keep me awake. The song More Than You Will Ever Know, listening to that song reminds me of something that I noticed on this album, like your use of natural sound or room noise, like you didn't worry too much about birds or you weren't like too precious about like a fuzzy space going on the recordings. How true is that? And how did you use noise to emphasize the in-between spots in and around the songs? Well, in this particular instance, Jacob actually put a microphone out in the front yard of the house that we were recording in specifically to pick up the birds which I didn't actually realize that he was doing that um, until, you know, we were listening to the session later and I was like, wow, you can really hear the birds. And he's like, yeah, I put a, I mic'd them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I get so excited by a song where I, by a recording that transports me into it. Like I love a good song to the point where I want to be inside of it. Mm. Like that's, that's a, the feeling that I have when I feel like I'm like, I get to be inside of the recording of a song is one of the feelings that I would aspire to share with people. And like some examples for me of that are like mule variations by Tom Waits is like a very roomy album. What about like a girl from the North country, Bob Dylan, Johnny cash recording from Nashville skyline. I can't think of the spatially. You should check out Bob Dylan. He's good. Oh yeah. I I mean, Bob Dylan is a, is a, (laughs) that's a great example of somebody who like is not precious about what gets on the recording. And I mean, people talk about Bob Dylan being a great poet and like, obviously that is true. Um, but the recordings are so like, you know, that just like, you know, him singing and playing guitar, like, uh, what's that? song it's like the most obvious one uh the times they are a changing <laughs> you really i really feel like you're almost inside the guitar you know like it's just so there it's not mixed in such a way where it's like occupying a space that's not shaped like a guitar like you really 
I, it's, it just is so big. Um, mm. and I'd love that. I would like, I want to, I want to be so close up to the song that I can like smell the, the wrong notes and like the, the shape of the room and, and that kind of thing. Um, with some of the mixing on this album, like we, we didn't always totally emphasize that on every single song, but certainly that the overarching idea was to kind of bring people along for the ride. Yeah. That's really cool. More than life itself Like there is really nothing else Like a brother Like a sister Like a child Like a flame I always have with all I got I always will, I can never not With every day it'll always grow More than you will ever know More than you will ever know So that's with uh, Judy Butterfield who I met the night before we recorded that stuff. Whoa. Yeah. All right. So Jacob had had met Judy before they had like worked on something together years ago. The happenstance of it all was amazing because we had, you know, we, we had made a plan to do stuff with Theo in Michigan and Courtney in Eau Claire and then David Moss in Wyoming. And we had this like great stretch where we we're like, oh, that's going to be so awesome. And then we had like some ideas for LA, but we were kind of, we had this like big geographical stretch where we were just like, I don't know what we're going to do. And we were like, I had never been to New Mexico period. And I was really excited to go to Santa Fe and go to Taos. And we were like about to like, I don't know. It's like, maybe there's like a tunnel somewhere with some nice reverb and like, I'll just sing a song and that will just won't have a guest. And, we were like, maybe we'll put something on Craigslist and see if there's just like anyone. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I, I like reached out to a few friends. This was like in the couple days before we were like planning to get to, to Santa Fe. And Jacob had already like he booked us. He was like, there's this hotel there that I've stayed at before that we should stay at because it's great. And we got to town and we were just like, we have no plan. So I guess we'll just wake up in the morning and see what happens. And this might just, you know, be kind of a bust went to go get a drink at the hotel bar at this place called the El Rey court. And Jacob is like, this is so weird, but I'm pretty sure that I know that woman over there and she's a singer. And I was like, is she a good singer? (laughs) And he, and he was like, yeah, she has a great voice. And he quickly pulled up her old band on, on Spotify and like found me something. And we were like over at this table and he was like playing it for me. And this was before he like (laughs) went over and was like, Judy it's Jacob. Do you remember me? And it was like the exact kind of thing that I was like hoping would happen on this trip. That's so cool. That you kind of can't, obviously can't plan for. Yeah. But she was there, I think singing in a band that was like singing at, that was like playing at a wedding that was happening at this hotel or something. And yeah, he just went up and she was like, I thought I recognized you. That's so weird that you're here. And then we described what we were doing and 
you know, two minutes after that, we're like, so we're going to like record some stuff tomorrow. Would you want to record with us? And she was like, yeah, I'm not doing anything tomorrow. That would be amazing. Wow. Yeah. Jacob put a microphone out in the, the front yard and that was basically like, you know, my first time meeting her and we were, you know, making intense eye contact to try to get the, <laughs> the diction of the, the song right. And so like, as I was saying, it was really powerful to see old friends again. It was also just really powerful to like meet a person and go into their house because like I hadn't like, met someone in the world yeah. in what felt like so long. And like that felt like something that was so off the table. And that's like, that's another thing. It's that we kind of just got straight to recording the song. And that's like, you realize that it's this like universal language of like, we don't know each other at all, but we can kind of jump to this. There's like intimacy on this, like one bandwidth of singing a song together and like trying to blend and trying to get the, the diction and the tuning and all these things that was definitely felt like uh magic. Like there was like this kind of, it was like, oh, the day in Santa Fe has been saved by Judy Butterfield, you know? <laughs> and the the emotion in that one is like very much, it's, it's, I'm trying to evoke like a love that is almost ancient and mm. the type of way that you might feel about someone that you have known your whole life or that you've known for like longer than you could count or whatever. And to be singing that with someone that I literally didn't know at all was like fun. That's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to um, make a personal comment that you brought up Tom Waits' Mule Variations mm -hmm. and you covered Tom Waits' picture in a frame um, on your EP Pizza Tickets. And that was our first dance at our wedding it was Tom Waits' Picture oh, in a wow. Frame. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good song. It's such a good song. Your version is so cool. Thanks. I was having a like a really hard time wrapping my head around Tom Waits being the one like singing in his like super duper Tom Waits voice while we're doing our first dance. I eventually like came around to it and ended up loving it, but like honestly, if your version had been out <laughs> last year, I would have been like, "Uh, babe, we need to consider this." Yeah, it's like, you know, <laughs> Tom Waits's voice is like it's like a, it's like olives or something. Oh it's like people who love it are just obsessed. And then there's like people with otherwise absolutely perfect taste can just can't stand it. Like I, Tom Waits is one of those people of people who are like, I just can't get over his voice. I'm like, I'm not going to try to convince you <laughs> if you don't like his voice. I'm not going to tell you it's good. Cause yeah. it's, if you don't like it, it's not good. <laughs> but if right. you like it, it's the best. Um, that said, you know, like I'm a huge Tom Waits fan and I grew up listening to him and I love hearing him sing his songs. And also I have, you know, had beautiful new relationships with his songs by hearing other people sing them. And some of that is that like you hear it in like more of like a conventionally pleasing voice. It can, you can experience the lyrics in a different way. And I think that's like, I love covering songs and actually picture in a frame from the EP was recorded on the road trip. What? Yeah. So we we did that on the same day. Cool. We actually recorded uh, three songs at Courtney's house. We recorded Beauty Sleep, Denis, and Picture in a Frame that day. A, a, a couple of the other songs on the EP were from the road trip. And 
you know, I, I thought about kind of releasing it as like a companion of like, well, here's the covers from the road trip. But then I wanted to add some other ones that weren't recorded on the road trip. So that it kind of became this like mix. But yeah, like Unravel is also from the road trip. Um, and that's the last track on the EP. And we also uh, recorded More Than You Will Ever Know is the my song that's on Stranger to the Feeling. But we also recorded Talk to Me of Mendocino, uh, the Kate and Anna McGarrigal song. Hmm that same day. So that's with uh, Judy Butterfield. All right. I want to ask you one more question and you get to pick the topic. Would you like to talk about gender, marketing, or your wife? Oh my God. Those things are all so interconnected. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Gender. Okay. Your gender is listed on your social media as he, they. Um, So... I just want to give you an opportunity to share your thoughts on your gender, whatever you want to share, and why you think it's important to talk about it, to put that out there. Cool. Um, Yeah. Like, that's something that uh, I feel about myself to be, you know, accurate. And it's... At the same time, I also am like six two and have a beard, and you know I do sort of like get all the cookies for that, and so it's like there's a way in which like I haven't been like like gone out of my way to kind of be like, yes, I you know appear to be a man in this world, but here's the ways in which I don't always feel like that really applies to me because like in so many of the most real ways. Like I benefit from, you know, the patriarchy and like misogyny and these things that like I wish didn't exist, but, you know, I still am sort of like assumed to know things about things that I don't know about because like other men will just like assume that I'm like technically proficient in something or just that's like a small example, but like, you know, manhood has never fit comfortably for me inside of me. And so when I think there was like a kind of general movement for people to share their pronouns, you know, I sort of sat there and was like, I can't imagine myself specifically requesting that someone not call me he just because that's just like, you know, I know what someone means when they say that. And I, I I understand and I will respond, you know? Um, but I was like, if I'm going to share my pronouns, like what I am comfortable being referred to as like, I, I'm comfortable being referred to as he or him or they. And I will say that the times that I've have been, you know, addressed in that way, it's like, it feels so good. Like it feels so like freeing to kind of be like, Oh, I'm like, I'm outside of this, you know, this duality. And it feels like so, um, healing to, to get to feel that way. And, and like, I'm, you know, this is, you know, I grew up as someone that like, I probably laughed at like a lot of like transphobic jokes in movies in the nineties when I was a kid and like, was definitely like very afraid of being like perceived as like, gay or effeminate or 
whatever, like on the schoolyard as a kid, like I've definitely like, when I think about like the homophobic culture that, you know, that we live in, I'm just, it's just like, it is so, it's so pervasive and it's, it's, um, the amount of like the kind of discourse that's happened around it in the last several years, um, I feel like has been so, uh, it's been really helpful for me just like on a super personal level, just in thinking about the way that I just relate to my own gender. And so that's like, Hmm. to me, I am a queer person and, but I'm not, I'm very hesitant to like, you know, claim any kind of space in that, Hmm. in a sort of a broader cultural way, because I, I do kind of like exist as a male person and, and, you know, that's how people experience me. I mean, I do hear, you know, it's like, I'll talk to friends about some of this stuff, like personally, and like, it is, it has been, you know, nice to hear from people who know me well, that are like, actually, I do sort of experience you as like a more gender fluid person than that. That's like very, I'm like, oh, wow, that's so nice that you see that about me, because it's how I feel. Um, So yeah, I, I don't know. I hope that makes sense. It's nice. It's nice to be believed. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, and as someone who has like mostly been with women romantically and like kind of presents as male, like I'm not, I I, I don't necessarily feel like it's, uh, yeah, I'm just not like, not like clambering to, to, for a, a turn in that conversation. Right but the conversation has been really helpful for me um, to have with people on like a personal level and to like witness in a more public space Mm. from people who are like, who are more comfortable kind of like inhabiting that identity in a more public way. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I've gotten some like, you know, I've gotten some weird little messages on Instagram from, I, I don't know. I got like a message where someone was like lost me at he, they, and I was like, well, get lost, you know, it's like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's, and I was just like, wow, if that's, if that's, you know, I just imagine someone was like streaming something and they're like, Oh, this is a cool banjo song. And they're like, who is this guy? And they're like, Oh my God. ugh." I'm just like, wow, I really, I'm not, you know, it's not my job. I totally get that. You know, I totally get that because, uh, like in working in radio, um, it's not ever happened on this podcast yet, but like people will send like homophobic, transphobic, racist messages. And it's like, they're like, I'm going to cancel my membership. And my, I mean, I'm not in charge of any of that and never have been, but I'm just, my attitude is like, you can actually, I will issue you a refund because I, I just, I, I just like cringe at the idea of people who who have that kind of attitude like consuming yeah. the music or the podcast or the radio that you like put your heart and soul into and it's like damn you can't choose your audience but like if you're making yourself known and telling me that i either need to like agree with your bullshit ideology it's like yeah. fuck you you know totally <laughs> fuck off. i mean i so often think about making music as being a lot like running a restaurant. I don't know if this would kind of, if you could kind of project this analogy onto having a podcast as well, but there is like, I've thought about this too. 
of like, do I want someone who, who has like some belief that I find like, you know, just like unforgivably hateful or whatever. Do I want them to like, listen to my music? And there's like part of me that's like, maybe I do because like, I love people and I want people to express who they are. And I want, I want everyone to be safe. And I'm like, maybe I'm, you know, somehow like in some kind of the way that like you can kind of put a, uh, a little kernel of like a memory in, in a song. And then it's like, it's intact there. It's like, maybe that, that attitude is like, it somehow it gets in the song and it's like, if someone goes and enjoys it, it's like somehow it planting a seed of like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, there's like something like kind of pathetically idealistic about that. No, I guess you're, I think you're, you're right. But I mean, I feel like if someone's throwing it in your face like that, then it's like, well, absolutely like, get lost. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's when it's like, that person is like, I really think that there's a difference between like realizing that you have held homophobic or racist or misogynistic views and being like, oh, oh my gosh, I, that's, I've totally, wow, I, maybe I called someone gay on the, you know, when I was a kid or I like laughed at this kind of joke or like, yeah, maybe I did kind of assume this person didn't know what they were talking about because of X, Y, or Z and kind of reflecting. And there's a difference between that and then like digging in your heels and being like, someone's trying to tell me this is screwed up. Well, you know what? I don't think it is. And it's like, that to me is just like such a clearly like, oh man, it's really too bad. If someone comes to that point of view where they're like, yeah, you know what? I do have these like misogynistic or homophobic or racist views. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just like, I feel so like, I mean, I a don't want to be anywhere near that person. And I don't, I really don't yeah. want to talk to them. Uh, and I don't, I would like to keep my loved ones safe from their wrath. But I, also, I'm just like, that is too bad because to me, being on this earth is such a beautiful opportunity to like, you are the captain of this mass of cells for a very short period of time. And <laughs> like, why not be as open and loving as you can possibly imagine being, you know, it's like, I mean, the, the best example of this to me is like someone who's like, I'm a real man. And this other person being transgendered or like this or whatever it's like is like that's not cool and i'm just like I'm like what does it mean to that person to be a real man is it like does it mean to be like tough and smart or like does it mean to be like a leader or like what what is it about masculinity that they are like glomming onto that they really want to like make sure people know that they are like really embodying because it's like if there's anything good about being manly or masculine it's like definitely not being a fucking bigot, you know, that's a pathetic, yeah. small, childish person. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel about that. Mm. If someone's like a real man, blah, blah, blah. It's like, whatever you think a real man is, you're not that if you're, you know, causing harm to other people on purpose, and not like actively seeking to learn new things every day. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, first of all, I loved everything you said, and I'm definitely going to use that pull quote about fucking bigot. Right. <laughs> really good. Um, do you want to do the lightning round? Sure. All right. Taylor Ashton, here we go. We'll dedicate 
this first question to your old band. What is your favorite fish? And what is your favorite bird? Oh my gosh. I think my favorite bird is, right now, I'm just going to say, for now, the one that I can think of is, I like a crane. Um, mm -hmm. And my favorite fish, I like those ones that live way at the bottom of the deep, deep sea and have a little flashlight that comes out of their forehead. <laughs> Whatever that's called. Those are good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we'll dedicate this to your wife's band. What is your favorite dive bar? Um, oh, I love the Times Changed High and Lonesome Club in Winnipeg, Manitoba. It's not exactly a dive bar, but it sort of like is on purpose, but it doesn't like, it doesn't suck at all. So that's the way it's not a dive. What is your favorite dad accessory? I, it's got to be the, it's got to be my, my baby carrier. It's the, it's being able to wear my four month old as a, as a garment. Wear your, your, your offspring. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that feels like. That's definitely the most stylish I've ever been is when I'm wearing my baby. <laughs> what is your favorite road trip snack? Ooh, I feel like this is something I'm always trying to hone because it's like you can't, you know, you really, the, the wrong road trip snack will ruin your life um, yep. in terms of, make, you know, gut rot and all that stuff. Um, I feel like a banana is very safe. Hmm. But then you have the peel. Mm-hmm. Do you throw it out the window? I recently graduated in my personal life to being someone who has a dedicated trash receptacle in the car that is like, it's part of the gas stop checklist is like, trash you know, receptacle. exactly. Okay. Empty the, empty the trash, wash the windows. I'm trying to, trying to like, you know, be civilized. <laughs> I have this very vivid memory. When I was a kid, one of my parents growing up had like a little plastic bag like hooked on the glove compartment and I think they only did it two or three times but I think about it all the time that it was like like a tra little trash bag you could buy specifically for your car mm. and they filled it up and then I remember it went away and I was like where did it go trash receptacle in the car is a really good hot tip from Taylor Ashton thank you I got that from us uh, there's a great Steve Martin bit about that <laughs> <laughs> There's like at the end of a record, he's like, I just want to, before I go, I just want to impart you with this bit of wisdom. You know, the, the Maharishi once said to me, it was always, oh wait, or was it never? <laughs> and then it's like this whole buildup and the whole thing is just like, have a doggy bag in the car, you know? Um, <laughs> that's the, that's the like spiritual wisdom. All right. This is going to be the last question. All right. I think I already know the answer. Bruce Springsteen or Bob Dylan? Oh no. That one's way, that's too hard. I don't know the answer to that at all. Maybe, maybe Bob Dylan by a hair, but that, this, this, that's a very painful question to have to answer, Cindy. Um, you know, they're, they're great for different reasons, those guys, but I'm saying Bob Dylan by a hair, just by a, okay. and it's, it's, it's honestly, it's just because of his acoustic guitar playing is so inspirational to me. He's a guitar hero of mine for sure. Awesome. Taylor yeah. Ashton, thank you so much for talking to me on the podcast today. Great to talk Congrats to you, Congrats on Cindy. the new album. Thank you. Stranger to the Feeling. It's out tomorrow. So good. In the narrative reality of this podcast coming out. I also do want to compliment you on your um, Christmas song. It was in heavy rotation at my house. Oh, good. During the holiday season. Yeah. Thanks. My wife sent it to like everyone in her family. Oh, great. Oh, that, I mean, that yeah. is that is the absolute. I mean, you were saying 
one of the, there was an unasked question about marketing, which is maybe for the the best because I don't know anything about it. But I do think the absolute best type of marketing is word of mouth. And I also would like to say that to the people out there that like, if you like this podcast or if you like any music, you should send it to someone. This is kind I'm kind of stealing this. This is something that Andrew Hickey of a history of rock music and 500 songs, which is another great podcast always says at the end of his podcasts, if you like this, send it to somebody because it's just the best way for art to find new ears is for someone who cares about that thing to share it with someone that they care about. And, uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. If you share something you like with someone that you like, um, just know that you are like doing that artist or that podcaster or whoever, you know, you are, you're the vessel. You're making the wheels turn. Exactly. Really. Yep. Yeah. It's very important. And it's really not nothing. Like it is so huge to share what you love because some people read blogs. <laughs> some people still pick up Rolling Stone and stuff. But like, I think it's so much more impactful for people to hear from someone that they care about. Yeah. So thanks to your wife for sharing that with your family. That's the best. I'll pass that on. That's the kind of marketing you can't buy. <laughs> This episode of Basic Folk was expertly produced by Sarah Wardrop. Our music composed by Alex Stanton. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes there. You can search for us on the SiriusXM app under Basic Folk. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or at our website, basicfolk.com. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. And like Taylor said, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. And we thank you. All right. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.